Don't forget your notepads, take notes and stuff like that uh, to learn and grow. Uh, we're on the subject of faith. We're going to continue that for a little bit. And I want to remind you because I said before, all of us have done things where we've exercised our faith and didn't feel like it worked. I mean, I don't have to ask for a show of hands. We would all say, yeah, I, I, I felt that. But anything in life that you go to do is never 100%. As, as you grow. Think of anything you do. Think of the very best free throw shooters in the NBA. Uh, none of them ever end the season with 100% from the free throw line. They, somebody might get up around 90, which is, you know, huge. Think about uh, professional baseball. If you hit the ball one out of three times in professional baseball, you will be worth millions and millions of dollars, which means two out of three, you don't hit the ball. You don't get on base. But in life, anything, music, school, learning your times tables as a kid, anything in life, it's a growth process. And as I think it was John Maxwell, I first heard coined the phrase, although I'm sure it's been coined before that, the goal is to fail forward. You keep moving forward. Yes, you make mistakes and you learn. And then you go forward. And then you make other mistakes and you learn and you go forward. I can't tell you how many times I've shared my faith in Jesus Christ with people and felt like I did it horribly. And you know what happened? Every time I walked away, I said, I'm going to remember this next time. I'm going to remember this. I'm going to, what am I doing? I'm failing forward. I want to keep going forward and keep going forward. So in faith, it's the same way. So we say no room for shame, no room for saying, oh, I'm, I'm a loser. I, it didn't work for me. We're all growing in anything, in, in any spiritual walk as well, whether it's love or forgiveness or compassion, we're all growing. So let's keep growing. Now we looked at Three sets of scriptures last week, 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Then Galatians 5, 6 tells us that in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision matters. But the only thing that matters, isn't that interesting? The only thing that counts is what? Faith. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love or working by love because faith works by love. And that's, that's a powerful phrase. Let that sink in. The only thing that counts. We're talking about being saved, being born again, different rules and regulations that people say you got to do this and you got to do that and you got to do that. Well, Paul said the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Then also Hebrews 11.1 1 has a powerful verse. It says, and without faith it is what? impossible to please God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because he who comes to God must believe that God exists. So faith and belief are always in there. Must believe that God exists and that he's a rewarder of those who earnestly or diligently seek him. So you're not going to call out to God if you don't believe there is a God. So without faith, it's impossible to please God for anyone who comes to God must believe that God exists. And so faith is, is just a foundational teaching. And anytime, I mean, when God says the three greatest things are faith, hope, and love, that ought to be a regular part of our diet, that we are growing in faith, growing in hope, growing in love, understanding it, pushing the ball down the field a little further. We want to keep making progress in those three areas. So I want to talk today about, you know, faith is so important. How do we get it? How does faith come? How does faith end up in our lives? So that's going to be our topic today, how faith comes. So many of you probably know this Bible verse, and so if you know it, you can help answer it. If this is your first time in church, or you don't know the Bible verse, that's fine. We're all growing. But the Bible says, King James, New King James says it like this, 
And faith cometh by, does anybody remember? Hearing. hearing. And faith cometh by hearing. And faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The NIV says, consequently, faith comes by hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. Now, the topic there is salvation. If you read, if you read Romans 10, it'll all be about salvation. This is how, this is how it happens. Now, there's a saying that's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. By the way, if you say, I've never heard of that person before, that's okay. But if you've ever heard of St. Francis Hospitals, he's the, the person that they build that around. His, his heart is a believer and to bring health and hope and, and all that to the hurting. So, St. Francis of Assisi. And St. Francis of Assisi is, is quoted as saying this, which, by the way, there's no record he ever said this. I think he would know not to say this. And it's a pretty cool quote, though, and I've probably said it, you might have said it, or you might have heard it before, and part of it is pretty good, but it says this, St. Francis of Assisi was supposedly said, which he did not, but he said that we should preach the gospel at all times. Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Now, there's an interesting part, part that I like about that saying, part that I don't. Our lives should reflect the goodness of Jesus. When somebody finds out you're a Christian or you go to church, they should not be shocked. I mean, if you invite somebody to Easter service this coming year and they go, what, you go to church? That's a bad sign. When the face gets sour and they look at you and say, you, uh, then you probably haven't been living like you should in front of them being the, the example you should be. So that's good. I like that part of it. But the rest of it is, if necessary, use words. Well, guess what? It is necessary. That's what the Bible said. Romans 10 said, faith cometh by what? Hearing. Hearing requires words. I don't think anybody looked over and just saw somebody at work or at school and went, man, they're such a nice person. You know, they might even be religious. You know what? I better give my life to Jesus. Nobody says that. But somewhere, now maybe you weren't the one to say the words, but maybe you did give a Christ-like example in front of them, but somebody somewhere has to eventually say the words. And in Romans 10, it says that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And that the message of the good news of Jesus has been preached or proclaimed, preached is a scary word to people, has been shared with you. And you heard that, and you thought, I need to be a Christian. I need to give my life to Jesus. The Bible says that you believed in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. You confessed with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and thou shalt be saved. But you didn't believe until you heard the, all Romans 10 says, how can they believe unless somebody tells them the message? And so we do have to share the message as well. So it's very important because God is, is uh, into speaking and God is into hearing. And so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, what's the gospel message? The gospel message in miniature is this. Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden and sin came into the whole world and it broke everything. It broke us human beings, it broke the ecosystem, it broke planet Earth, broke everything. And now, in order to buy back a perfect person, did you know that Adam and Eve were without sin? Now, to buy back a, what was once a sinless person who is now in sin will require another sinless person. Well, we got a problem because the only two people on planet Earth at the moment are sinful. And so sin came into the whole world, into all of our lives, and we were born with a sin nature, that seed of sin in us. But what we couldn't do, God did. 
we're going to celebrate that in a few months, the coming of Jesus, the birth of a Savior. What, what we couldn't do, God did. John chapter 1 says, God clothed himself in a human body, was born among us, and we beheld the only one begotten of the Father. And so Jesus came to fix us. What we couldn't do, he did. So here's, here's the news. I want you to know this clearly. One day, every single one of us are going to stand before the Lord. And here's how you're going to get into heaven, okay? Some people say, well, if God asked you, why should I let you in? Which I don't think he's going to ask that question. But if he did, what would your answer be? And if your answer was, oh my goodness, I built a chain of hospitals around the world and took care of uh, poor people all over planet Earth, er, that doesn't work. But I was so good. Well, if being good would work, there'd be no need for a savior. We would just all work at being good. And so the list goes on of all the things we think might get us into heaven. Here's how you get into heaven. This is what the scripture teaches. You can get into heaven if you are as pure and holy and flawless and righteous as God. If you get to heaven, if you get up to the pearly gates, as we always say, and you're as holy, perfect, pure, and righteous as God, guess what? You get to go in. So here's the dilemma, though. When we stand before the Lord, we will either stand in our own righteousness, our own purity, and our own goodness, or we'll stand in the righteousness and goodness that has been placed upon us through his Son. I don't care how good, I don't think anybody here is even fooled. I don't think anybody here is saying, well, I think I'm good enough. Honestly, there's nobody here, I think, that even believes they're good enough, that that plan's not going to work well for them. But there is another plan. We're going to celebrate it here. Jesus said, this is a cup of a new covenant in my blood. This is a cup of a new covenant, a new agreement. And, and the scripture teaches us in 1 Corinthians that he who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin. So that you and I, in Christ, not just in general, in Christ, you and I could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Is there anything more righteous than the righteousness of God? So now if I'm in Christ, I stand before the Lord in his righteousness. I'm now as righteous and pure and holy as God. Now I know because some people, this is just standard Bible teaching, and it saddens me that this standard thing I'm telling you is shocking to some people. Well, I've been in church 25 years and never heard that. You are as righteous and holy as you'll ever be because the righteousness of God has been placed upon you. That's, the, that's it. You didn't earn it. It was placed upon you. You received it. The Gospel of John chapter 1 says, To as many as received Jesus, to those who called upon his name, to them he gave the right, the privilege, the power to be the children of God. The Bible says that we take off the old man and we put on this new man, which is created in true holiness and righteousness, just like God. This, that's what the Bible says. And so Jesus knew no sin, but he took our sins. And we weren't righteousness, but he gave us his righteousness. And now we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. I didn't say anything about how well you behave this morning. I said, if you're in Christ, you are clothed in his righteousness. And so now, when God looks at us, he sees his righteousness on us. His holiness, his purity. Hebrews says that in Christ, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. I get that we walk things out here on planet Earth, but man, when we receive Jesus, we are, we are made the righteousness of God in Christ. And to me, that belief is a very powerful word. It's not a little casual like, 
okay, well, I think I'll say a little prayer and then go live like Lucifer the rest of my life. No, real belief changes you. It starts the process of change. And so if you're here today, I want to remind you again, you will stand before the Lord one day. And you'll stand in your own righteousness, which is not good, because the Bible says, your, my righteousness is like filthy rags before the Lord. And because I'm pretty prudish, I hardly ever mention this, and I really am, but the true definition you can look at for yourself is your righteousness is like menstrual rags. That's what it actually is. That's how righteous you are on your best day. You're like the thrown away menstrual rags that are going to be burned away. That's what you're like in your own righteousness. That's what I'm like in my own righteousness. So I get it. My righteousness isn't going to be very impressive when I stand before the Lord. But wow, the beauty of Jesus' righteousness being on me. Now that's that's beautiful. And God says, well done. Well done. We can enter into the joy of the Lord. So if you've never said yes to Jesus, say yes to Jesus. I don't care if you pause and say the prayer right now. You don't have to wait for some magical moment in the service. You can just say, hey, Jesus, I just heard that message. Faith rose up in my heart. I believe you've risen from the dead. Just save me. And my favorite prayer of all for salvation that I tell you with regularity was the guy who knew he needed to know Jesus, but he wasn't sure how to do it. And here was his prayer. Lord, whatever it is you do in people, do it in me. I said, I like that. I don't think God said, well, that's not a good enough prayer. I think God said, you got it, brother. I'm going to do in you what I do in people because you want to have a relationship with me. So faith comes by hearing. We need to hear the salvation message. But does it only apply to salvation? Faith, faith is the foundation for anything that we do, and there's not a special faith for healing and a special faith for salvation and a special faith for being compassionate and a special faith for learning how to walk in peace or forgive. It's the same, it's the same faith. We just have to exercise it, and we learn how to walk in those things in faith and belief as we've been taught the Word of God. We have heard the Word of God. So faith, what you hear, builds faith, positively or negatively. One of the stories I share, again, with some regularity. It's one of my favorites. True story. This young lady's gone into the dentist. She's being worked on by the dentist. He's getting a little exasperated. He kind of sighs, rolls his chair away. Now, it's not cool when the dentist sighs and rolls his chair away when he's, you know, working in your mouth. So she's a little nervous and says, is there a problem here? He said, no. He said, not really. He said, we'll get it. We'll get it. We're all good. He says, Just, your mouth's kind of small. And I can't get in there to work as easily as I would like to. So I'm, you know, coming up with a new strategy here. When she heard her mouth was small, it blew her away because all of her mouth, all of her life, she believed her mouth was big. She thought she had this big gaping hole in the front of her head that was her mouth. And she would cover it up when she would laugh or different things because she was always self-conscious about how big her mouth was. Now here's somebody that's in people's mouths every single day who says, your mouth is not so big. And she thought, where did I get the idea that my mouth was big? And then she remembered, when she was a little kid, she was loud and rambunctious, and her father would say to her with regularity, would you please quiet down? You have such a big mouth. And that got stuck in her, that she really had a large mouth. And all of her life, to that point, she had had insecurity about how big her mouth was. And it wasn't even what her dad meant, but that's how she took it. And that day she got set free. She probably left thinking, I got such a little mouth, I have to hide it now. No, we hope that wasn't, <laughs> we hope that wasn't it. But she just, that, 
that faith came by hearing. She heard that and believed erroneously that she had a big mouth. Now, some could say, well, we've got the Bible here, so do we really need to hear anymore? Because it really is true. Most of what was going on there is very oral, you know, people talking and sharing and all that. But now we've got the Bible. Do we really have to hear? Well, I want to say this. I believe I can build faith by reading my Bible. But I want to say again, God's really into hearing, and God's really into speaking. So don't miss that. And so I'm fine with reading my scripture. But I'll bet about half the time I put on audio version, and I listen and read along, and I'm, I'm using, you know, what people say are called the ear gate, the eye gate. I'm using these things to get the word of God in me, and I believe hearing is very, very important. So we need to hear, and we need to speak, and we need to listen. There was a teacher, a public school teacher, who was teaching other kids other than her own. So I, I want to say this. I want to talk, tell the story about the teacher teaching other people. Now, I know there are some of you here who are homeschool teachers, and I don't dismiss your ability to homeschool, but here's the problem with homeschooling. Every month, no, there is. Every parent believes their kids are brilliant. So this story won't work with that because every, every parent goes, my kids are the best. Okay, well, I'm glad you feel that way. But when other people teach other people's kids, we all know this. Other people's kids aren't as sharp as our kids, okay? So I got a whole lot of family members who are teachers and educators, and I would have conversations with them. We would have a family gathering or something. They would talk about, this is really a good year. I got a great class, okay? Other years, the classes weren't so good. But uh, do we have any uh, people here who educate other people's kids? Raise your hand high. Okay, several of you. Okay, so you know that, you know that those kids aren't near as sharp as yours. But, and you all know, honestly, we don't like to say it, but some classes are brighter than others. Some are rambunctious. Some are, you know, distractive. And so every now and then you hit the sweet spot where you got a really great class. Well, this teacher had got all the information. School was getting ready to begin. She had all the paperwork on, on her class. But she knows this year, there's so much extra information in it. And normally, it's just kind of like first name, last name, kind of stuff like that. This had lots of information in it. So she's looking over, and she's reading it, and she's digesting it. And then she noticed that the IQs of the students are on there. And she starts looking at this, and she starts saying, wow, these students are really brilliant. I mean, the lowest IQ score in her class was above average in intelligence, all the way up to highly gifted. And so she's saying, this is going to be a great year, man. These kids are ready. And so she poured her heart and soul out teaching these kids, and they received it well. She gave, they gave back. They had a great year of learning. It was wonderful. It was spectacular. As the year ended, she's talking to one of her fellow teachers there in the school, and she says, I kind of hate this year to come to an end. My class was so sharp, so brilliant. It was such a great year, such a great experience. And she said, I just don't know if I'll ever have another class where the students have that high of an IQ. And so her fellow teacher said, how do you know the IQ of your students? And he said, oh, it was on that new paperwork that they sent out the first of the year. She said, I did notice there's a lot of information. Maybe I missed something. She said, let me see that. So she hands it to her, and she looks it over, and she says, see their IQ scores? And so the fellow teacher looked and said, oh, dear, that's not their IQ scores. That's their locker numbers. <laughs> and um, but good thing she did not know that <laughs> because there was something about believing, believing that they were going to be sharp and they responded rightful, 
rightly. One cool thing about what we have is we don't have bad information we're trying to make good. We have the word of God. We have word that's forever settled in heaven. This is like absolute truth that we can apply to our lives. So I want to encourage you. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We need to watch our ear gate and our eye gate. We need to watch what we see, watch what we hear, because it helps build faith. And it's so easy to hear all the opinions of the world, all the negativity around, all the... I am so tired of hearing that Christianity is done in the United States of America. First of all, I want to tell you, that's a lie. That is a lie. And it comes from Satan so that we can just give up. Because I have something that I've told you before called soft statistics. People say, nobody's interested in Christianity anymore. Nobody's interested in God anymore. Remember a few years ago, the movie came out, War Room, that was advertised overtly as a Christian movie on prayer, and it was number one in the box office over Labor Day weekend, a big movie weekend? Huh, that's interesting. Christianity's done in America. Boy, there's, there's a, a New York Times bestseller, one or two almost all the time, written from a Christian on that list. That didn't used to be the case. Now, I know we're going back a few years, but I remember when Promise Keepers came around, there 80,000 men would gather someplace. You couldn't get eight men together, you know, back 30 years ago. And now, now it's all of a sudden, there's these massive things. You know, the, one of the videos we show in worship has like 40,000 young people there worshiping God. Hey, are, do we have challenges in our faith in the United States of America? You better bet we do. We got a great big God. And if we'll go do what God says to do, Christianity ain't over. So, anyway, that's a different story. But I want to I wanna give a plug for, I told you that this year I want to really, we as a church, get better discipleship, which, which maybe is a big word, learning. Disciples learn. We got a class every week, 9 o'clock, Founders Chapel Cafe. I want to encourage you, you know, be a part of that. Hear, sit, listen, share, learn, grow, grow. Other things going up, like, like the Wednesday night thing. Sit, listen, learn, share, grow. There's all kinds of ways to grow, and we want to keep adding to that. And uh, Gary Miller and I were talking, and he's working on something, kind of a survey list of what can help, how can we help you grow in the things of the Lord that you'll be seeing here soon. So faith comes by hearing. You want to hear accurately. You want to hear correctly. You want to apply it correctly. So let's look at this parable by Jesus. Jesus tells this parable in Luke, the eighth chapter. You've probably heard it before if you've been around church for a while. The sower sows the seed. Now, a sower, not S-E-W-S-O-W, if you've ever sowed grass seed, you kind of just scatter it. That's what, this, that's what this sower is doing, sowing the word. And the whole chapter pretty much is all about the word of God, the soils of people's hearts, and how that word can grow in our lives. That's what it's all about. Well, they finish, Jesus finishes the parable, and the disciples say, it's a learning lesson for us. The disciples say, we didn't understand the parable. Jesus said, well, you need to understand this parable, because if you don't understand this parable, how will you understand any parable? And he explains the parable. So, we saw last week, they couldn't cast out a demon. They said, why couldn't we cast it out? Guess what? They asked the question. We want to learn. We want to grow. We don't see them, you know, saying, I'm discouraged, we're going to quit, we couldn't cast it out, we couldn't move in faith, we got little faith, I guess we'll never have faith. No, they said, what's our problem? Jesus said, here's your problem. Apparently they worked on it, because you move in the book of Acts and you say, wow, these people who couldn't do anything seem to be able to do stuff. 
So they ask, what is the problem? What's the parable mean? And so Jesus begins to explain in Luke. He picks up with the last soil. It says, but the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word. What did they do? They heard the word. They hear the word, retain it. Retain it takes some energy to retain the word. The, the, the secular world will teach you that if you don't work at retaining the word, you'll forget over half of it within an hour when we're done. You'll forget, uh, oh, like over 75% within a week, and you'll probably forget almost all of it within a month if there's a, something to help you retain what is being said. So they hear the word, they retain it, and by persevering, I believe that just means by applying the word, they keep putting the word into practice, by persevering, they produce a crop. Okay. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a jar of clay or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. Now, I want to remind you, Jesus didn't change topics. We're still talking about the word. We're still talking about it being sown in our hearts, retaining it, persevering in it. So the word is supposed to be hidden away. You know, if your Bible, if you don't ever read your Bible outside of here and you go, boy, I don't even know where that's at. Well, then it's hidden away. The Word of God needs to be out front in our lives, and not just as a physical thing, but as a lifestyle, it needs to be out front. You say, well, I don't know if he's talking about the Word. Well, he is. He knew the Psalms. Remember the Psalm, Thy Word, O Lord, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. What did he say people do with this Word? They put it on a stand so there could be light. Verse 17, for there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed or revealed, and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Now, I want to pause for a second again. Guess what? We're still on the topic of the Word of God. People read this, and they get nervous because they know how they behave, and they go, all the things I've done in secret are going to be exposed openly. Well, maybe, but that's not what this verse is about, okay? There is a truth that if we continue in sin, sometimes... It can get exposed, but God, see, we also have this idea that God's upset and mad all the time. So he's always out, he's always upset about something. I'll show you. But it's all about the word of God. It's about the word of God. So it says, for there's nothing hidden that will not be revealed. Okay, we're learning here. We're being disciples. What's that mean? It means this. There are things you don't know about God. There are things you don't know about the kingdom. There are things you don't know how to interact with spiritually. And we got to huge, wonderful, beautiful kingdom that we're supposed to be operating in. And Jesus said at one time, seems like the people of the world know how to operate in their kingdom better than the people of light do, so we need to learn. So there's things we don't yet know, but if we will keep going to the word and we will keep retaining the word and practicing the word, here's the result. There's nothing hidden in the word that will not be revealed and nothing concealed that will not be brought out into the open. I can tell you, because I spend a lot of time in the Word, and I know part of my vocation, so I get that. But if you spend time in the Word, you will see things you never saw before. You will go, oh my goodness. And you'll get excited in your spirit. You'll go, oh my goodness. And you'll want to tell everybody. You know, I'm always like telling Darlene. And Darlene's a very, very, she's very supportive. 
She sits on the front row. She don't ever fall asleep. She cheers me on. She does all that. But I will confess this. Sometimes when we're sitting on the couch, I go, oh, my gosh, I just saw this in the Word. And I start going, blah, 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 blah. I watch her eyes kind of glaze over as she looks ahead. And I'm going, okay, I think I'm losing her. But what happens is you get excited and you go, I got to tell somebody about this Word. I got to tell somebody. This is exciting. So what's happening? God's saying, as you stay in the Word, I will reveal it. I will begin to show things. I will disclose things to you. You'll get better at operating, guess what? In faith, in love, in compassion, in anything, because you're spending time in the Word and you're growing. Now, if we're spending very little time in the Word, but all kinds of time in the world's way of thinking, I mean, think about, maybe you like to listen to podcasts. Well, are they ones that are feeding your spirit? Or are they telling you, this is what's wrong with the world, and this is what's horrible, and this is why Democrats stink, and why Republicans stink, and why this is awful, and, and why we're all going to hell in a handbasket? Then guess what? You'll build faith for all that. You know? So how about we spend some time in the Word? And then he says, therefore consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have will be taken from them. Again, I want to break this, this idea that God's mean and upset, because we even read a verse like this, say, that's God, he's going he's to be mad because I'm not spending enough time in the Word. He's going to take away my car, or take away this, or take away that. Now, it's all about the Word. This whole topic's on the Word. What's happening is he's saying if you really go for the Word, you'll get more. If you don't, what little bit you think you have will be gone. See, you're picking up some stuff right now. So you're getting a little bit. If you hang on to that little bit, you'll get more. If you don't hang on to it and don't care for it and protect and guard it, then just, it's not God's mad at you. Statistically speaking, you're going to forget what little bit you had within an hour. You're going to forget what little bit you had within a week, and it'll all definitely be gone within a month because it's just gone. You didn't retain it. So it wasn't like God's out to get you. It's just the natural process of things. Maybe the New Living Translation helps a little clearer in Mark chapter 4, parallel passage to Luke 8. Then Jesus added, pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding you will be given. And you'll receive even more. To those who listen to my teachings, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken from them. So faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Hear purposefully, hear, hear accurately, uh, apply accurately, uh, look at the word. A very simple lesson, I don't know if you noticed that one. I should have made it plain. It's very important. Stay on topic to what the topic is. The topic was the word of God being sown in our heart. But people read one verse and think it means this, and the next verse is, oh, something's happening over here. And next verse, God's going to expose my sin. The next verse, no, it's all on topic. So you can say, let's, let's stay on topic. Let's see what Jesus is saying. So pay close attention, listen to what you hear, and then beware of your source. There's a lot of wonderful, amazing, incredible Bible teachers out there, and I say go to tried and true, trusted Bible teachers. And I just really want to say this because everybody has access to uh, uh, the Internet and a microphone, and there's a lot of really horrible Bible teaching out there as well, so stay away from that. Last week we looked at this, and this is just mind-blowing, I get it, it's mind-blowing, but we looked at this last week, that Jesus did not operate on planet Earth as the one and only Savior of the world, the only begotten of the Father, 
He did not operate as the Messiah on the earth. Now, I want to make this clear. Was he the Messiah? Absolutely. Was he the one and only begotten of the Father? Absolutely. But we learned that he laid aside some of his deity rights, and he operated in the world as a human being anointed by the Holy Spirit and with power. Where do we get that from? From the Bible. We read that in the Bible. Peter taught that. Uh, Paul taught that. That's in the Bible. Not taken away from his deity. He, he just, we saw that he was water baptized and the Father placed the Holy Spirit and power on him and then he went about doing good, healing all who were sick and oppressed of the devil. And so we're challenged to go be not saviors of the world, but go be like Jesus on planet Earth. To pray for people, to do good, to do all those things. Now, if that was something you never heard before, there's absolutely nothing wrong with you going to a tried, true, trusted friend and saying, hold it. That guy said last week that Jesus did not operate in the earth as the one and only savior of the world, but he operated as a human being anointed by the Holy Ghost and with power. Well, you may say, I've only been a Christian for a few years. This person's been a Christian for 30 years, so I'm going to ask them what they think. And they may say, that sounds crazy to me. That can't be right. I mean, my goodness, Jesus is the Savior of the world. Guess what? He is. He's the Messiah. He is. He's the only begotten of the Father. He is. I get all that. So I just don't, I mean, are we arrogant enough to think we could be like Jesus? We're not the Savior of the world. We're not. And so by the time you're done, that person who you really love and trust may say, I think I would throw that teaching aside and maybe even leave that church because that's just crazy talk. How could we think that we could be like Jesus and do what Jesus did, that's just arrogant. Okay, well, we'll pretend that was Uncle Joe that told us that, so we go, okay, well, let's see what the Bible says. Last week, when I was leaving, Larry Shelp and I were talking, Larry said, I was waiting for you to, to share this Bible verse, and I said, well, what one was it? And he told me, I said, that's a great Bible verse, and so I'm going to share it with you right now. Somebody says, how dare us ever think we could be like Jesus or do what Jesus did? Well, let's look at John 14, 12. This is Jesus speaking. Jesus even starts out, which always makes me laugh for some reason, with very truly, I say to you. Like, I always want to say, Jesus, you don't have to start out with that, okay? I always believe anything coming out of your mouth is going to be very truly. But he says, very truly, I say to you. Very truly, I tell you. This is Jesus. Whoever believes in me will what? Do the works I have been doing. And even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. So now I have to decide, am I going to believe Uncle Joe or am I going to believe Jesus? Let's pick Jesus. Am I going to believe my own sense of frailty because you start thinking, doing the things Jesus did, that, I'm not worthy of that. You and I aren't. But he is, he lives in us, he said we should do it. Okay. I think what we should start saying when we read verses like this is not try to explain them away. A lot of times we try to explain them away. I'm very serious about this because we've had miserable failures doing it. I get that, but we're going to fail forward. And we're going to keep going forward. And so we think, I just don't think I could do it. But what did Jesus say? Jesus said, yes. So I think probably something needs to be added into our prayer life and into our Bible study is when we read a verse like this, we just come up and say, yes, sir. You said I'll do it. But do you feel like it, honey? No, I don't. 
Do you feel like you're, you're God's man or woman of faith and power? No, I do not. But Jesus said, do it. So let's do it. Let's go for it. Let's build our faith. Let's pray. Let's do what Jesus said to do. You know, there's a great big hurting broken world out there that needs every one of us in here making a difference in. Not just a pastor or a couple elders or the prayer altar prayer team, but everyone. We're all going out there making a difference in our world, our school, our work, our neighborhood, our family, wherever we are, by being like Jesus. So here's our assignment for the week. Ask the question, how can I be a better listener? How can I be a better hearer? Think about it. Study it out. Write some ideas down. How can I be a better listener? How can I be a better hearer? How can I be better retaining the word and putting it into action in my life? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Your word is truth. Your word at times blows us away. Your word at times we say, man, that's beyond us. And we just acknowledge right now it is. That's why we need you. We have no confidence in our flesh, no confidence in our personal ability. But we declare in Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, help us to have tremendous confidence in you and your word. And so, Lord, help us to be obeyers.